Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Polly and Amy and Kristen. And today we are joined by another special guest that we are so excited for you guys to get to hear from. It's an author. His name is Connor Boyack. Am I saying that right? That's right. Boys that yak. yak Boy, I thought it was boy. I thought it was Boyack. (laughs) Um, He is a father of two and an author of, I believe you really started with just children's books. Tuttle Twins, the Tuttle Twins. If you go to TuttleTwins.com, I know many of you homeschool moms. I know my sister uh, uses your some of your history books. But Connor, we are so excited to talk to you because one of the things we've grown so passionate about the last few years, especially, we've always been passionate about our kids, but we're we've become very much um, uh, compelled and convicted, I should say, that we should speak up for all kids and for the future of our country. And your books, your material is certainly something that we want to get into the hands of as many families as possible because you too would like to make critical thinking great again. Yes. <laughs> well, one would hope that we can get back to that with the the craziness in our yeah. world. And the silly thing about all this for me is that it, it started because eight years ago, I wanted to talk to my kids about, you know, the ideas of freedom and how the world works and what money is and all these things. And I literally went on Amazon in hopes of finding books that would, you know, I mean, there's books on birds and the bees. There's books on, you know, potty training. I mean, like any topic that you need to talk to a kid about, there's kid books to help with that. There wasn't anything for these types of like freedom principles that I wanted to help my kids understand. And so we started working on the Teltons books as just a fun little like side project, labor of love. It wasn't a big th- part of what I do. It was just a fun little thing until 2020 hit. And when everyone became a homeschooler all of a sudden, and when every government became authoritarian and churches are being shut down and businesses and all the rest, so many families that had just taken for granted the freedoms we have, who had assumed that we live in this free country and things are just fine, like so many parents kind of woke up and realized, oh my gosh, like if it can happen that quickly, then I need to pay more attention. And how do I talk to my kids about what's going on? And so we exploded in 2020 in terms of growth and book sales and everything. And it hasn't let up that that demand continues. And so like me eight years ago, many parents today are saying, how can I talk to my kids about this? The biggest problem that we solved for that I'm sure some of you can relate to is that A lot of these parents have the desire to talk to these kids, but they feel incapable of doing so because they feel that their own education on these ideas is superficial or inadequate. And so they don't, they don't talk to their kids. And then the kids learn all the kinds of garbage from TikTok and, you know, textbooks and whatever. The parent gets frustrated. Oh, how come my kid is like a, you know, crazy person now or whatever. And it's like, well, you never talk to your kids. And so since so many of us had public school education and never really learned these things well, the Tuttle Twins provides parents this very simplified way of saying, like, just read this fun little kid's story together. You're going to have a common language, common vocabulary. Mom and dad and the kids can talk about it. We have discussion questions at the end, really just trying to spark family discussions about ideas that matter and help parents who never learn this stuff get past that hurdle and just say, just read this fun book. And then you guys will have some amazing conversations. Well, I love that you said even the parents are getting the education because that does seem to be a problem, right? If if you're looking at the modern adult in the United States right now, it seems like many of them really don't know the history of America. Uh, for example, you know, there's been this growing thread, this trend of anti-patriotism. 
In other words, you can't be proud of your country. You can't be, the, the United States is not um, a place of freedom, right? It's, it's, a, it's a rewrite of history to say that we, as many flaws as we may have as a country, and certainly we're not perfect, we are the great hope of the world still today. And um, the fact is that it seems many people don't know or understand world history. For example, if you think the United States was the only place where Africans were slaves, that's not true. But you right. would think, based on the amount of kneeling happening on an NFL football field, that people really thought we were the only ones and that we were still doing it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so how did you, like, when you wrote these, and you obviously wrote them for the kids to learn, how quickly did it take you to realize that it wasn't just the kids who didn't know? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you just pointed out an example, which I think is very interesting. This whole idea of, you know, sports players kneeling and disrespecting the media and a lot of those cultural things that, that we've definitely seen a lot of. But uh, our team about two and a half years ago, we bought a whole bunch of the social studies books that are being used in schools, trying to find like, how are they actually talking about this stuff on a daily basis in classrooms across the country. And I have this one book uh, upstairs in our studio. We, we, there are these, you know, you remember like in fourth grade, you got the big backpacks that are like, you know, weigh half as much as you do with the, the big you know books. It's this big fat social studies book. And I'm flipping through it. And there's this chart talking about the different um, societies in America and in Britain. And so in America, it's like, look, here was kind of the upper class, wealthy, aristocrat kind of people. Then here was what we would call today the middle class. Here was the homestead farmer people. And then here's this chunk at the bottom that is uh, the indentured uh, uh, servants and all the slaves. Like, OK, that makes sense. That looks you know, realistic. Then on the Britain side, it had the same chart. But there was no slaves at the bottom. And it's like, this is so completely inaccurate to say that in America, there were slaves. And then, you know, have you ever heard of William Wallace, uh, Wilberforce? Yeah, I said William Wallace. That's Braveheart. Have you ever heard of Wilberforce? Right? Like, it was just insane to see in this textbook, this, this graph presented as truth to these kids, trying to make it seem that America was this horrible place for having this whole slavery problem. When, so for me, it's not just culture. It's not just media. It's not just what we're seeing today. It's in the textbooks. It's how kids are being taught this stuff. And so what we realized is that, you know, whether you homeschool or not, kids are being exposed to bad ideas. Mm -hmm. And if we're not intentional about that, if we're not trying to counteract it and teach them truth, they're just going to learn this crap through osmosis. And they're not going to have a foundation against which they can challenge those ideas because they don't understand. So fundamentally, what we see ourselves as trying to do is give kids this foundation of, you know, critical thinking true principles, you know, an economic way of understanding the world, you know, buying, selling, trading incentives, why people do what they do. If we can have this like core foundation, then as kids are going out in the world and watching some random YouTube video or their teacher, you know, in school saying something, at least they can evaluate it a bit more and hold their own and, and scrutinize something rather than just be this blank slate where they accept whole cloth, what they're told. Exactly. Exactly. That makes perfect sense. Well, one of the examples that I keep remembering is even just this year, Wyatt, um, your situation with Wyatt, with the teacher showing them on, was it CNN 10? That's oh, what they yeah. watch. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, I'll let you tell. <laughs> well, I guess they watch CNN 10, uh, which is like a 10 minute news segment designed for kids through CNN. Mm -hmm. And I guess every day uh, when they're doing that, it looks like he has to write like two or three facts per each little mini segment. And a lot of it is like, fine, it's good information. Like, you know, crazy stuff like world records and, you know, somebody ran this marathon and, you know, like, or something with a cute pet. But then there was one I saw and he said, um, oh gosh, well now it was I about cancer. It was like about cancer. Joe Biden, his fact was, and he knows, you know, we, we talk about a lot of things. He's like, his fact was Joe Biden wants to cure cancer. And what was the other one? Some about like, like that he was giving all this. And then you said, oh, yeah, he's like giving, giving all this money for cancer. Yeah, he's donating this much money to cancer research or something like that. And I said, okay, now let me tell you the but truth. But did you know this? <laughs> yeah. said, let me tell you the truth. Let me show you where the that money is, went. <laughs> uh, like 98% of that money went to pay salaries of the people 
running the charity and all the other things. I can't remember all the details now. I knew it back then. It's like, but in other words, I was like, you know, it sounds really good to say that, but that's not the truth of the matter. So yeah, you do have to, and my, my husband, we pulled our kids out of public school um, last year for the entire you know year. And, and we recently put our two boys back in and it is like we said, we're going to have to screw their heads on back every on day, every night. Like that's our yep. job to make sure that whatever filters into their brains at school, we're able to counteract that when we get home. And that's why I love, um, I love these books and I would love to hear more. Also, I know you said before we got on that you have a podcast, mm. I have a long commute and I have a high schooler that's in the car with me, a ninth grader. He's in the car with me for probably 20 minutes, just me and him. So, um, you said you have a podcast designed like little bite-sized messages for specifically for parents and kids on commutes, just a nice way to kind of have like a talking point or discussion point. So that sounds really, really awesome. Help yeah. Out. So our, our podcast is called the way the world works and they're little 15 minute episodes designed to spark conversation between parents and kids. Um, so it's tuttletwins.com slash podcast. Uh, but you said something uh, there that I want to latch onto that I think has uh, broader implications. This idea of that daily, you know, having to kind of help kids unlearn what they <laughs> were yeah. taught and learn truth and everything. And, um, I just finished writing this book where this, I wrote about this story. So I have a new book coming out in a few weeks called children of the collective. Uh, Glenn Beck did the foreword and it's all about uh, how collectivists throughout history, all the big dictators and everyone else have always gone after the kids. Why do they always go after the rising generation? And then, so in the book, I talk about how it's happening today, who today's collectivists are, how they're operating and what we need to do about it. And at the so this comes out in I think uh, mid December on on Amazon we're putting it out and um, at the in the conclusion I share this story that that directly relates to what you were just saying this daily kind of how to help your kids there was this family in the Hungarian Revolution so the the Soviets were you know dominating the whole Eastern Bloc the Hungarians were under this massive oppression but um, they the Russians weren't too heavily guarding. Hungary. They they had some crappy tanks there. They had a few soldiers, but it wasn't this like heavy um, presence. And so the the Hungarians, a bunch of teenagers, basically rebelled in the streets, and it kind of spilled up into a revolution. So it was the Hungarian Revolution, and uh, they repelled the Soviets. They they kicked. They destroyed the tanks. They had Molotov cocktails. You know, these very heroic efforts. And uh, so the Soviets, of course, they come back a week later with bigger tanks and hundreds of thousands of troops and they crushed the this Hungarian revolt um, and when the Soviets came back in all these families started fleeing because they had this hope right oh my gosh like freedom you know this is great and then it got crushed and so a lot of families left including the Hadjok family who I write about and the Hadjok family uh, they had two kids they crossed over into the Austrian across uh, the Austrian border and they were being interviewed by this, this uh, some like reporters uh, trying to understand what was going on. And their nine-year-old daughter was like this spitfire girl, basically saying like, oh, our teachers were lying to us and they're feeding us all this communist garbage, you know, and, and, and was really kind of spunky in talking about how she was resisting the propaganda. And so the interviewers are really curious, like, wow, this girl, like all the others are just kind of brainwashed and these kids are kind of like disoriented almost. They, they don't understand themselves or the world. How have you, like they asked the parents, how have you done this with your nine-year-old daughter? The, the boy, I think, was younger. So the, the girl was the older of the kids. And the mom explained that every night, I mean, keep in mind, they're in a communist country. There's snitches everywhere. You say one thing out of turn, you're going to get hauled off to Siberia, right? And so she explained that every night when the lights went out, because there were no, you know, uh, street lights and like it gets dark and then it's dark. She said we would hide in our cellar and we would read from the Bible and we would teach our kids truth and wash their brains of all the filth that it had been filled with in school during that day. And she said that was a daily practice in the evening. And they asked her like, well, have you ever like, did you, were other families doing this too? You know, like, was this just you guys? Are you an anomaly? She says, I like to think that there were more, but I have no idea because you couldn't talk to your neighbor about any of this. You couldn't trust your own kids because if your kids were too young to really understand the importance of secrecy, and if they let slip something in class, mom and dad are getting hauled off to jail, you know, to uh, the, the prison camps in Siberia. And so every family was isolated. They weren't talking to one another. 
But this family knew the importance of resisting all that propaganda, all that indoctrination and saying in our house, within the confines of our home, we are going to have this daily intentional effort. And if it's not intentional like that, we're going to lose. I, I say in this book, and I'll wrap here, that we will lose every battle we don't know is being fought. Yep. If we don't realize that we are in the middle of an ideological war, that our children's yes. minds are ground zero for the conflict, then we've already lost. We're sending them out to battle without a shield and a sword. That's right? right. I mean, they're just cannon fodder right? at that point. If we want our kids to be protected in this battle, we have to know it's even happening. We have to know who the various actors are. And we have to know how we can equip our kids with a shield and maybe a sword to resist and fight back. And so that's that's what Children of the Collective uh, is about, uh, this new book. But that's also what the Tuttle Twins is about. It's really just empowering families to say, like, learn true principles, teach your kids, you know, the right way of thinking, and then send them off to the world. And that's and, and we've got to stop abdicating our responsibility as parents to the school systems or to the schools or to everyone else to teach your children what is right and what is true. And to mm -hmm. teach your children there is the truth, that this truth is not subjective. Truth is is firm. And it's Amen. And that is to me the thing that one of the subtle ways that this is all creeped in is by acting like truth was whatever you felt truth was. I was so blessed to have parents who taught me that the truth if a, if your life is a train, then the truth is the engine and your feelings are the caboose. Your feelings, <laughs> it's your job to line up your feelings with the truth, not let your feelings try to pull the train. And I they taught that. me that from a young age. And I was like, so now, even when things feel a certain way, I have to go, but is that truth? And there has to be a standard of truth. And for many of us, especially as Christians, that would be the Bible, right? And, and my, I have a lot of people ask me about my children. How are your children not being pulled into that world ideology? Well, they are at a private Christian school, but I have to say here in Raleigh, North Carolina, private Christian school doesn't mean what it used to mean. That it, there's some woke Christian everything at this point. And um, while they are at a school that is still very much centered on teaching what is true and what is right, the reality is it's what's happening in our home. My husband and I talking about current events and explaining to them economics and explaining to them why socialism has never worked, explaining them who Karl Marx is and why his ideas were terrible, right? Like it, it is teaching and having those conversations that I believe held my son through public university, <laughs> why he could go to college and go, gosh, people are dumb, you know, <laughs> gosh, these are terrible ideas, you know, instead of, to your point, Connor saying, oh, my parents are crazy, right? Because I yeah. had so many parents who taught their kids or thought they were teaching their kids say, I just paid a hundred thousand dollars for my kids to come home and tell me I'm an idiot. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, Heck if that's going to be me. <laughs> so so I do believe we're in the middle of a war that we have to fight, starting with our own children. However, if you're a homeschool parent or a private school parent, and you think the public school, school system does not involve you, or if you're a grandparent or maybe you have no kids at all, you still need to fight for your local public school system to teach the truth, to teach real history, to teach real economics, because these are your children's peers and they're the future of America. And how brilliant of evil to decide that if it wanted to completely wreck a society to go after the minds of children. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Tuttle Twins, and that's why knowing your history and knowing the truth is vitally important and you talking to your kids about it is vitally important because the future is on the line here. And it, there's a real battle going on. And also get your kids off TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you know what I keep thinking? Like when we said, uh, you know, the when you want to like screw their heads back on, you yeah. know, I keep thinking of like Kevin Hart, you know, it's like, you're going to learn today. It's more like you're going <laughs> to unlearn today. Right? The minute they get home, let's see what we got to unlearn. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Oh it's my true. God. But it is well, one thing that this has all taught me. I know you said, I, I really thought that you truly, I thought Tuttle Twins had probably been around for a while, but I yeah. just realized that it was there because I was the head in the sand, just trusting that school was like it used to be. And it's not, right. you know, and I think 
I think a lot of parents are. And I think that, you know, if we can look at some of the blessings of COVID and the pandemic and everything is that we, it opened our eyes to a lot. I know it did for us. So it's so great for us to know. I mean, we're definitely more involved. We're not just dumping them off at school and saying, thank you for taking care of our kids for six hours today. Right. (laughs) You know, like we've got- free babysitting. And, yeah. and and you're right. I agree. Silver, the silver lining of COVID uh, is that many more parents are waking up and taking charge. I think that's a, a wonderful uh, byproduct of a very dark, you know, period of our history. But then I think of the National Commission on Excellence in Education. This was a, a group that recently got together for 18 months, and they were looking at all the schools in America. They were looking at curriculum and what all the kids are learning, trying to understand you know, how are things going and, and what's the state of, of schools today? So they spent about 18 months and then they issued a, a report. And in the report, they said for uh, this is an excerpt of it. They said that the foundations of America are being threatened by a rising tide of mediocrity and that if a foreign government attempted to impose on America the very mediocre education standards we have today, we might have viewed it as an act of war but as it stands, we've done it to ourselves, okay? So so a rising tide of mediocrity. Now, I, I misled you a little bit in sharing this story because this group that produced this report did not do it recently, as I said. This was in 1983. No! This was Ronald Reagan's administration. Wow. It's 40 years next April. So I'm working on a new book that comes out in April on the 40th anniversary of this event, the book is going to be called Mediocrity, 40 mm. Ways That Government Schools Are Failing Our Kids. Wow. And so every chapter is a different example because that rising tide of mediocrity 40 years ago has wow. just drowned most of our institutions. As you were pointing out, Holly, like even if it's not your own kids, it's voters. It's it's that I'm being controlled. My taxes are being increased. My property is being you know, regulated based on all these ignorant voters who are graduates of the public fool system, who don't know any better, who are easily manipulated by propaganda and talking points, and they have the same voting power as I do. And that's dangerous. They're a threat to my rights. And so I'm very invested in fixing the education system for the exact reason that you mentioned that, you know, America's institutions, our basic freedoms are being threatened by this mediocrity that for decades has been pumping out ignorant voters. And we see the direction our country is going in. The only way to solve for this in the long term is the education of the rising generation and steering the ship in a different direction. And that's like the whole, you know, modus operandi behind the Tuttle Twins is to help families talk to their kids about real principles, real ideas, uh, so that the long-term prospects of America are brighter than what they are right now. Well, there has to be a shift, right? Because as you said, for 40 years, it's been going straight downhill. And now we've reached a point where if we even talk about the failures of the American student, um, it hurts their feelings. And then that's a problem, right? So, So now we've got, we're in this world where if we point out the microaggression, microaggression, right? Mm-hmm. Where if we point out how weak and pathetically ignorant this generation seems to be, and forgive me, I'm raising kids in that generation. So know that I'm not slinging shade to be mean here. I'm just saying within overall, if you were to go on TikTok today, or you were to go sit in some of these school settings, for example, had a, uh, I think I shared this in the last podcast, but I had a, a post from a friend recently who said in her child's Spanish class, the child texts her from school and says, mom, only 11 students stood up for the Pledge of Allegiance today. Many were talking during the Pledge of Allegiance. I cannot believe we've gotten here. And this is a high school student telling her mom that, wow. you know, just the blatant disrespect. So we've got so many feelings involved. We've got no standard of respect um, left, it seems. It's like it can feel as if we are fighting a lost cause for those who were lost because even conversation with them is painful. You, it's almost like you want to have this like common ground jumping off point to like say, well, here's what we can agree. But they they seem to not really know anything except for how they feel. I mean, I'm just going to point to the Starbucks uh, video that went viral recently with the employee crying in the stock room because right. he'd had a busy day, right? He'd had a busy day. That's <laughs> But this is where we're at, you know? Yep. And I'm not saying that's, 
He's not representative of every person in that generation, just like my kids aren't, okay? But I am saying there's a growing trend here. We're used to, 25 years ago, we would have said, dude, suck it up and get over yourself. Mm -hmm. This is life. Have you ever seen that gym video, the, the recess video of kids in the 1940s or 50s or what was it? Have y'all seen They're hanging off of the jungle gym. Oh, and they're going yes, through like, yes, yes, like yes. army boot camp recruits. They are <laughs> right. doing like push-ups, pull-ups. And it's like, this is just the typical school gym class in like the 40s or 50s. Like, and now yeah. look where we are. My yeah. son said there's a girl in his gym class who refuses to participate and just sits on her phone and just sits there like he's like she doesn't even do anything and they just allow and it. they just it's like well i mean have, have any of you heard of john taylor gatto do you know him <gasps> okay uh i'm going to introduce you to a hero of mine uh gatto is g-a-t-t-o john taylor gatto he's very well known especially in homeschool circles but he was a public school teacher for 30 years in new york uh he was really trying to reform classes from within for some of these reasons, right? Look how we've kind of degraded in this mediocrity. And uh, and so he was trying to like really improve things, but he kept hitting up against the bureaucracy and the top-down standards and all these things that prevented him from doing a good job. So despite that, he tried, he innovated, he helped a ton of kids. He was awarded New York City Teacher of the Year by like the establishment, that's like the PTA and the, you know, all that. So he's New York City Teacher of the Year. The next year, he won New York State Teacher of the Year. In that very year, he wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, the title of which was, I Quit, I Think. Yes. And he goes on to describe how he literally says that his uh, profession was requiring him to hurt children as he was trying to help them, that the very structure of the system suppresses kids' curiosity uh, diminishes their individuality, turns them into mindless robots, and that no matter how much he was trying to help, the system was designed in such a way that it was hurting kids. And so he quits teaching. He goes and writes some books, goes on a public speaking profession. This was in the 80s. Shortly after that, that group issued their report saying that we have this rising tide of mediocrity. So John Taylor Gatto, the, the whole reason I ever homeschooled my kids for like a decade, now we have them in a private school and act in academy. Um, the whole reason we homeschooled is that when I was newly engaged, I came across John Taylor Gatto's book called Dumbing Us Down, The mm -hmm. Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling or Compulsory Education dumbing us down. And the whole book was his attempt. It's a short book. It was an attempt to say, here's what's wrong with government schools. Here's, here's how we're like actually hurting kids in the learning and, and education process. So I, I'm reading this book and it felt like it was written for me because I struggled in school. I was the kid who would raise my hand and say, why do I need to learn this? Put your hand down. It'll be on the test, you know, and I'd want to like doodle or go learn about random stuff. No, you got to learn, you know, this, the same stuff in the same way at the same time as every other kid. And I just like, I'm very independent and very libertarian. Like, so even at that young age, before I was those things, I think I just chafed against that like authoritarian, you know, approach to it. So I'm, I'm reading John's book and I'm just like, this is exactly why I struggled. Even things like class periods, the, the fact that, you know, you're starting to get into a subject and then the class bell rings and then you have to go move to a different subject. It, it prevents us from deep learning. And you could say, well, do that at home or on the weekends. But but the whole circus, the school circus, saps the mental energy of kids to the point where even if they have the in, intrinsic desire to learn more rather than just go play with their friends in their free time, their mental energy has really sapped. And so just the regimentation into class periods of all this time, rather than saying, hey, let's have like unstructured time where if you want to go learn robotics, go watch three hours of robotics videos and become an expert in, you know, robotics. But the system isn't set up that way. So I'm reading this book and I'm like, this is exactly everything why I struggled. This is not I don't want my kids to have to struggle, you know, with this only to later in life, you know, overcome it or, or you know, try and surpass it. And so ultimately, that's the reason why we homeschooled. And I know that not every family can or will homeschool. I, I'm a big homeschool advocate, but I'm ultimately an advocate for intentionality. Because even if your kids are in school, like like I I, I graduated the public school system. I turned out all right. Granted, things were much different <laughs> back then yes, than they exactly. were today, right? We were just saying that. But, <laughs> um, but if you're an intentional parent, like your kids will turn out okay. 
Um, you just have to have eyes wide open, way open about some of the stuff that's going on and make sure like every day, right, you're washing their brains mm-hmm. on learning all the stuff that they have. But but John Taylor Gatto, I would encourage uh, your listeners, if they're not familiar with him, go check out Dumbing Us Down. Again, it's a short book. He's got uh, another great book called uh, Underground History of American Education. And our Tuttle Twins books, for example, the the kids books, they're all based off of or inspired by original books. And so this one is based off of John Taylor Gatto. So that's John Taylor Gatto right there and his book, The Underground History of American Education. So our book, The Tuttle Twins and the Education Vacation is all about learning. How do we learn? Why do we learn? How can we learn well? What is education? Should we have this conveyor belt process where everyone is like processed the same way into the same shape? Or you know what? Uh, Education is more like plants. We each have this different genetic code all we need are some basic ingredients some soil you know some water some some uh, some sun and then we're going to grow into an unpredictable size and shape and direction that is unique to us and so education really is about parents or adults just providing those basic resources and letting us grow as we were designed to do and today's school systems are not conducive to that type of education process. So that book was our way of, John Taylor Gatto passed away a few years ago. Uh, He was very instrumental in my own life. And so we, we did that Tuttle Twins book to honor his work because it's so important. I love that education is like plants. I love, I love that. I mean, and it kind of reminds me of like, if y'all have heard of like the love languages, you know, how people want to be loved or give love. I mean, and it's the same thing with education. Everybody learns differently and if we're all trying to teach them the exact same way, then some people aren't going to, you know, be receptive to that. So it makes so yep. much sense. I love it. Yeah, it is. And I think it, it, it speaks to more than when we say the system is broken. We're talking about more than just um, the fact that this woke agenda or critical race theory or critical theory or any of these Marxist ideas have crept in as being taught as though they should be accepted. It is the fact that the system has long been broken in terms of the way we reach children and get them excited about learning and the way that we, um, you know, engage them. And, I, and you know, I, there's a proverb that really informed my parenting that I'm going to share with the audience. Years ago, when my firstborn was a young, young child, I was reading the proverb that says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And I looked at the original Hebrew text for that. It actually says, train up a child in the way that he is predisposed to and bent toward. And it really opened my eyes that the way I was going to raise my son was, he wasn't me. He also wasn't my husband. He was a unique individual that was going to be, um, he's going to have his own way, you know? And then in raising my second son, who was very different than him and really recognizing the uniqueness of our children and trying to, provide opportunities and reach some of the things that they're created to do. And instead of trying to make them fit a mold, and sometimes we have to fit into molds to do certain things, right? You can't can't go to your job and just do whatever you want and expect to get paid and not fired. Although in today's, you might be able to do that. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but typically, you know, you have to teach your children there's a time and a place that you have to do what you're asked to do and you got to do it the way you're supposed to. They're asking you to do it. But we need more of that creative aspect where they can pursue the things that they are really passionate about. My nephew, uh, his parents are highly educated people. I don't think he's a college kid. He loves to build machines and motors and he doesn't love school. He loves to work with his hands. What a shame if my sister and my my brother-in-law were like, well, no, you're going to college and you're going to do it this way. You're going to be an engineer like your dad. Like it would not have appealed to him. Right. And so I do think there's a lot of conversation that parents we can be having with school boards and school systems. And as your private schools or in your home schools, incorporating more of the content that your child is actually excited to learn about and allowing them to explore that more. Mm -hmm. I think it will make society better when we have more people doing what they were sent here to do rather than be conformists. For sure. You know, Amen. well, tell me, Connor, how did you get Okay, we have to ask you like. Obviously, before you even have kids, this was a subject that you were interested in, um, education, because John Taylor Gatto captured your attention. And I I said, I do remember his essay. You mentioned that. Um, But how did you, how did this all happen? How did you get in this space? 
<laughs> oh boy. I mean, that's a, that's a weird and long story. So the short version is, um, you know, I started a think tank a decade ago called Libertas Institute. It's a nonprofit. We basically fight to change the law, uh, focused here on my adopted home state of Utah. I'm from California. I tell people that I left back in the day when you could find U-Haul trucks to actually get out of there. And now those are a scarce commodity. Um, but, uh, but, uh, been in Utah, I started this think tank and realized that I had a set of skills that allow me to be kind of an effective change maker, you know, public speaking, writing, negotiating, uh, lobbying, even just relationship, uh, building with people. And so I, I stumbled my way after a few years of trying, like I was volunteering with different organizations, trying to get involved. I'd show up to city council meetings. I'd go to legislative meetings. I, you know, like you guys, when you first like wake up, you're kind of like, okay, like, what do I do now? And so I would just kind of dabble and poke around and go to various meetings. And um, so it took me a little while to figure out that I didn't really have a home anywhere, that uh, none of the organizations in my neck of the woods were ones that I felt like I was a, a total fit with, or I didn't ultimately like how they were being managed or what they were focused on. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm starting my own. And so I started a, a nonprofit. I had no idea how to do that. I Googled many things to figure out how to do all of this. And, uh, and gosh, you know, I slowly uh, built, uh, you know, the nonprofit. Now a decade later, we've got dozens of employees. We've changed over a hundred laws you know, like nine or 10 of them are the first of their kind in the whole country. Now we help groups across the country do what we've done. We, we basically take our laws that we've innovated and we go help them do it in their state. And, um, and it's extremely gratifying because, you know, one of the areas that we focus on is, is people, we try and help people who can't help themselves. You think of like Elon Musk, I'll give you an example with, with Tesla or certainly like Uber and Lyft, right? We all know that the taxis fought them in the beginning and it was, you know, uh, against the law in many places to, you know, get an Uber or, or drive for Uber or Lyft. But also with Tesla, a lot of people don't know that when they were first operating, it was illegal in many states to sell Teslas because they used a direct to consumer model, right? You would buy your car and they would send it straight to you. They skipped the dealer. They didn't go through dealerships. And the car dealers are generally a very politically connected group of people. So over the decades, in states across the country, they've gotten laws passed to say you have to sell cars through car dealerships. This is what's called protectionism. They're trying to protect their turf from competition. Uh, we talk about this in, in one of our books, The Food Truck Fiasco. And, uh, and so uh, car dealers have these laws, including in my state of Utah. So here comes Tesla, and they are trying to sell their cars. Well, it's illegal. So they had to go sue, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and Two years of battles later, they finally found a compromise and now they can now they can do it. I share that because, you know, Uber and Lyft or Tesla and Elon Musk or whatever, these guys that have tons of money, they can muscle their way through and get what they need. They can hire lobbyists, they can hire lawyers, they can donate to politicians. Like ultimately they're gonna get their way. It's how our system is ultimately built. But what about the little guy? What about what about the guy sitting at a kitchen table? who uh, has his American dream. I'll, I'll be more specific. I know a guy who lives about half an hour away from me. And he came up with this idea where, um, you know, you have car insurance for like the big stuff, like a big car accident or whatever. But if you've just got a little fender bender or, you know, a, a, a damaged tire or any of these like little things, you don't really want to, uh, you know, have that count towards your insurance because it's going to raise your rates. So there's like this threshold where, you just kind of pay for it out of pocket for a lot of the little, the medium car stuff, right? So he's like, well, what if I create, created like a, a little uh, a cost sharing program, not insurance, because insurance is a guarantee. It's like we will pay for any bills that come up. It's kind of a promise. So insurance is very heavily regulated. He's like, I'm not going to be insurance. I'm going to be a, like a cost sharing thing. This is pattern after the healthcare sharing ministries that a lot of like Mennonites and others do, right? So instead of health insurance, they just pool their money together monthly and then they help one another. But if they run out of money, then there's no more money. It's not like insurance. So he's like, what if we take that same model that's in healthcare with some of these Christian groups and we apply it to cars and people can chip in or, you know, pay, let's say 20 bucks a month. And you know, whenever you need help, it's there for you. And then you're helping other people, you know, get on their way. 
So he goes to the insurance department and he's like, hey, I want to do this thing. And they're like, we don't care. You're not insurance. It's like, all right, cool. So he goes to build his business. He invests a quarter million dollars of his own money, basically all of his savings, builds his business, no complaints, no lawsuits, no nothing. A year and a half into this, the insurance department comes to him and says, actually, we think you're insurance and you need to shut down. And he had no more money. He had no way to hire lobbyists and lawyers. He lost everything. He had to just go on and, and move on to the next thing, cut his losses because, you know, and so only after we found out about that story, now we've gotten, you know, the law fixed and uh, for people in the future. And so it's cases like that where we try and a lot of the programs, the laws that we try and pass, it's for the, the little guy who, I mean, even the food trucks, our, our Tuttle Twins book, The Food Truck Fiasco, is a story about these food trucks that are being regulated out of, out of business. And that was a real world thing in, here in Utah and in every state. We got passed in Utah, the country's first food truck freedom law that knocks down oh there it is food truck fiasco so we knocked down all of these crazy laws that are hurting food trucks across the country so we became the first state to actually have like a free market for these types of mobile businesses and now we're helping other states pass a similar law and that's the story that we talk about in the teltwins books but these food trucks they operate on a razor thin margin They've got to focus every day on growing their little micro business. They can't go up to Capitol Hill. They can't go try and, you know, meet with poli- like so that politicians. That's where we come in. So our work is to go help people like that who are kind of being screwed by the government, who can't help themselves. You know, Elon Musk, like, I mean, if he calls, sure, I'll pick up the phone and I'll help him too. And hopefully he'll make a, a generous donation. But he doesn't need our help, right? But there's so many people that need our help. Average and so, help needs yeah, help. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yes. So that's, that's, that's how I got here. I built an organization designed to help people uh, with their kind of political, like their government legal problems that where these laws are getting in the way. And then along the way, that's pr- produced, like with the food truck fiasco, a lot of stories, a lot of examples where we write books about them to teach the underlying principles. And so what we do is like a, a, a short-term, long-term thing. Short-term stuff is is fighting for these legal changes, changing the law. But that's like a Band-Aid. It's just... Because two years later, they may come back and repeal it if, you know, the the population kind of shifts to be more liberal or whatever, right? Like, it's no guarantee that our our legal work is going to stick around forever. So that's more short term. But then on the long term, it's all these books, the Tuttle Twins. It's really trying to invest in the rising generation um, so that those little Band-Aids we're putting on, there can be some healing underneath and we can have, you know, some actual good uh, policies that protect our rights in the future. So I said that was the short version of the long story. It's kind of the medium version maybe, but uh, that's what led me to today. <laughs> I love it. Well, no. what, and Connor, did you say what that organ is? So this is, this like a 5013C? Is like an, is it a charitable organization that you it can is. donate to? Okay. What's yeah, the name it's of Liber- it? It's Libertas Institute and the website is libertas.org. I'll give you a little uh, pop quiz for when you're at a party next time. You can look okay. cool to people. <laughs> you ask someone, what's the name of the Statue of Liberty? And no one will know. And it's Libertas. So it's the Roman goddess of liberty. Uh, It's a dead language, Latin, right? So there's two schools of thought. A lot of people in America, they'll pronounce it kind of this Germanic, they'll say uh, Libertas, right? And so a lot of people pronounce our organization Libertas. Um, but I, I think of like an Italian, it, it pronounced yeah. Libertas, right? Like, <laughs> so so I, I think that I sounds a lot cooler. Yeah. yeah, Libertas is the Roman goddess of liberty, the Statue of Liberty. That's Libertas. And so we uh, we took that name. Well, mm. side note to that, my sons had to take Latin K through eighth grade in school. I, I love oh, wow. I really awesome. love our school. So they're great with vocabulary. SAT scores go great in that in that area because obviously uh, they're prepared. They, they really understand language. But when I used to quiz them, Connor, it was embarrassing because I would try to read it like you said, like with more of a like Spanish, <laughs> like and, and my my kids would look at me like quit being fancy. That is not how you say. It. <laughs> That's not how you say it, mom. That's not how you say. It. And I, it really was, it was an eye opener. I like really felt pretty dumb uh, watching my kids go through. Like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Yeah. Yeah. They were smarter than a second grader. Yeah. <laughs> They were smarter as fifth graders than I was. If you go back and look at it, uh, you can find like if you just Google eighth grade test from like the 1800s, 
you can find examples of old tests that were given to eighth graders back then. And a lot of it has like Latin, you know, the tritium and the, the uh, I can't remember the other one, but, um, but I, I haven't done this in like six or seven years, but I remember last time I looked, I was just like, yeah, are you smarter than an eighth grader from the 1800? Like, uh, I don't know how to answer those. You know, it was, it was very humbling. Although right now we'd be smarter than all of them. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I love the concept of your, um, your organization because we, I say this all the time. I said, a lot of times it feels like we're fighting a Goliath. Like, you know, we are up against, you know, and there are some days where you're just like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to be able to like change this system or whatever? Like, I know. Or make a difference. Make or, a difference. Yeah. Or are yep. we just up against this beast that we're just never going to conquer? Um, and have you gotten a lot of pushback? Like, from yes. Uh, so, so three things. Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, the second is I feel just as you do every single day. I'm running an organization, employing dozens of people, actually, quote unquote, making a difference. But every day I literally have these feelings of like, it's not enough. It's it's for every one step forward, there's 83 steps back, right. um, you know. And so where I see us today is uh, kind of on the Titanic, if you will. The course is fixed. We're about to hit the iceberg. I can't stop that from happening. What I can do is like, shake a bunch of families to get their attention say get on the lifeboats right, right? and, and right. so that's fundamentally where i see our work uh either the changing laws or the writing the books it's ultimately designed i think to just wake up more people and get them prepared and get them educated and get them financially you know secure and helping more families be ready to weather some dark storms that i think we're heading into and mm -hmm. so just know that even someone who's like in the trenches involved i, I share those same feelings and um, ultimately, I think it's about just helping wake up as many families and supporting them to be better prepared for what's to come. I, I think that's where the real value is. As a Christian myself, it's always, you know, the leave, leave the 99 and go after the one, right? Like every family matters. And so maybe I'm not going to make systemic change and, you know, change the world, but I can help a lot of families along the way and, and make a difference for the one and the second and the third and the fourth. So that's kind of how I think about that. Uh, the third thing I'll say in response to that question, in terms of getting involved, uh, we primarily work in Utah, although now we work across the country, but where I would point your listeners is to spn.org. That stands for State Policy Network, spn.org. This is a, a, think of it as a national coalition of groups like mine all over the country. So if you go to spn.org, they have a map and you click on your state, wherever your listeners are, click on your state, and it will show you the groups like mine that are operating in your backyard. And uh, I'll just be nice. upfront, some are more effective than others, right? <laughs> but, uh, but there's a lot of great people out there who need help, who if you step forward and say, hey, I've got a little bit of time and here's some skills, how can I contribute, right? Or, or donate or go to their events, sign up for their email list, follow them on social, just start to see what they're up to. And, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a good way just to, I, I've been amazed. I, I, I speak across the country and if, if I'm in a particular state, I'll say, Hey, you guys know about such and such group, like right. our sister organization in their state. Yeah. And like hardly anyone knows about it. I'm like, guys, right. you know, like you're, you, you're like-minded, yeah. go work together. And so, um, so for those looking to get involved, spn.org, and then go see who's in your state and go check them out. Well, also we could slip these in as Christmas gifts. Yeah. You know, like that is what we did last year. Um, so these are great if the parents are listening, grandparents. I mean, it's a great, you know, gift yes. for your kids. And I heard you say you're gearing up for some Black Friday sales. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. We're we're doing our biggest Black Friday. I don't know when this will be released, how quick you guys get it out, but it'll be a big Black Friday, be Black Friday deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you gotta get out before. Yeah. And uh, we're we're doing two bundles. One's for like all of our kids' books with all the bonuses, but then we're doing a a sale that we've never done before, which is literally every book that we put out all in one, seventy five percent off. Um, it's going to be a massive steal. So we're doing a really big sale wow. this week, um, and we do periodic sales. So even if you're listening to this podcast months from now, we're always doing you know back to school sales, Fourth of July sales. Uh, every couple of months, we usually do a, a, a pretty big sale. For me, like, it's, it's funny. We do this as a nonprofit. Our, this is not a for-profit endeavor for us. Everything is, all these books are done through a nonprofit. And for me, it's not about making money. We reinvest as much as we can into marketing the, the books and pushing them uh, out there further. Mm -hmm. 
And so people are like, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and CEOs and they're, they're always like, you're doing a, a sale for 75% off. Like that's crazy. Do, 50, maybe at, at max. like, don't do seven. I was like, yeah, but you need to make money. I don't, I just need to break yeah. even. <laughs> so right. for, for me, the goal is just getting it out there as many as possible. And these sales for us are just a good way to say like, Hey, here's a urgent opportunity, time limited offer. If you've been thinking about it, act now. Um, because for me, I know, like having done this for a while, I tell people I'm a drug addict and my drug of choice is dopamine. Like every day I wake up to texts and emails and DMs and stuff from moms mostly, but you know, dads too, like, thank you. Or check out this photo of my boy, or we had this amazing conversation or like, and and I, who doesn't want to wake up to that? Right. Yeah. So I'm like more please. And so for me, it's every day, just how can I push the books out there even more? How can I get more families reading the books? And so, yeah, for you listening, any, any, you know, nieces, nephews, grandkids, kids, uh, invite you to tuttletwins.com. We've got books like no one else has books that every freedom loving family needs. Um, I believe ultimately this is how we fix our world is at the dinner table, not at the Capitol building, not at, at in the courtroom. You know, I, I think it's around the dinner table in our homes where we save our country. And so that's where the Tuttle Twins wants to help. That's awesome. And make sure they're in your school's children's libraries. Make sure they're in the libraries. Donate them to your schools if they're not there. Um, And that's something else too, Connor. You know, what strikes me when listening to your story is that we have interviewed some incredible people over this last year of this podcast. People who are experts in their field, the top of their game. What unites every single person, whether they're from medicine or from law or from education, or they're just the average American trying to make a difference, the uniting thing is a heart to serve their fellow man and to make a difference and to truly make this country what it's meant to be and to make our world what it could be. And that's what I think has been the most refreshing part. As hard as times are now, and as you said, it can feel overwhelming, like we can't, we're so outnumbered or we can't make a difference. Listen, every single person you reach, you are the ripple that will will go out way further than you will probably ever even know. And if everyone can just help the next person who needs help, who the next person, the next child, the next family that needs to better understand, you can be the difference. And who knows, maybe we'll look up five years from now. And if we all take on that mandate of just helping whoever God brings into our path, who knows what the world might look like, but Mm -hmm. we have to believe that it will be better then had we kept our mouths closed and sat on our hands. That's for sure. Amen. <laughs> Connor, thank Preach. you so much. Yes. Thanks <laughs> so much for being on. We can't wait to make sure all of our listeners have their hands on your books yes. and certainly are connected back to you. Thank you for all that you do. We appreciate thank it. And so thanks for giving us your time. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate thank it. You. Happy holidays. So Happy holidays to you. All right, guys, we'll see you. Oh, 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 oh,